Hey, Tablet Show fans. Richard and I are going to be at the Dev Intersection Conference at the Marriott Grand Lakes in Orlando, Florida, April 13th through 16th. Come see your favorite speakers, Scott Guthrie, Scott Hanselman, John Papa, Billy Hollis, Brian Noyes, Dan Wallin, Todd Anglin, Tim Huckabee, Michelle Bustamante, Miguel Castro, Duval Lowy, Kathleen Dollard, and many more. Go to devintersection.com to register now. You'll save 200 bucks if you register on or before February 24th, $100 if you register between February 25th and March 31st, and you can save an additional 50 bucks by specifying .NET Rocks is how you heard about the conference. More details at devintersection.com. We'll see you in April. The Tablet Show, Episode 125, with guest Justin Esgar. Recorded live Thursday, February 6th, 2014. From thetabletshow.com, it's The Tablet Show. Conversations about developing software for tablets and other mobile devices with your hosts, Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. In this episode, Carl and Richard talk to Justin Esgar about everything that goes into building a successful mobile app. This episode of The Tablet Show is sponsored by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. Online at T-E-L-E-R-I-K.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much, and welcome back to The Tablet Show. Carl and Richard here. Very excited about today's guest and about the show in general. Yeah. And uh, you know what's on the ground in Connecticut? Snow. More f***ing snow. <laughs> that just never ends. Uh, we got a little of the, the polar vortex thing going on here. It's just bitter cold. My wife, however, is happy that for once... Well, not for once, but that I'm actually home to sh- help shovel because, you know, and, and never fails that whenever I go away warm and so someplace warm and sunny, we get a blizzard. We're supposed to get another nor'easter this weekend, though, but fortunately, this time we have a generator. And, yeah. you know, enough about the weather in Connecticut. I know it sucks and I whine. I got something really cool today for Better Know Framework. So hit me. What do you got, buddy? You ever heard of MTV? MTV? Never heard of it, huh? Never heard of it. All right. Well, the guy who invented MTV, Kevin Godley, he was also in a very popular band in the 80s, Godley and Cream. He has started uh, an app, an iPad app, which is really not just an app, a back end and a whole thing, a whole movement, really, called Whole World Band. If you go to wholeworldband.com and just take a minute and watch the video. And he introduces it, and he tells you what it is. And uh, in that video are some players like Ron Wood, Stuart Copeland, and uh, involved in the project are people like Ethan Johns and Soak and Passenger, some great names. Oh, and by the way, Doug Wolverton and Carl Franklin. Oh, nice. Yeah. So here's what it is. Imagine that you have these little music videos of maybe Stuart Copeland playing some drums or Ron Wood playing guitar and singing. And you're a musician, you have an iPad, and somebody records you playing along to Ronnie Wood, whatever you play. If you're clapping your hands or snapping your fingers or you got a kazoo or you're singing backup or you got a trumpet or an electric guitar, maybe you're doing a solo, whatever it is you're doing, you make a, a video track and you upload it and add it. And then... Other people can make their own custom songs 
based on those tracks and put them together and mix them and then get this mosaic video, all these videos playing all at once and basically share those mixes with each other. Wow. That is so cool. Yeah, that is really neat. And here's the cool thing that um, Godly says, it's not free, nor should it be. It's designed to put some money back into the pockets of artists. Interesting. Directly. So if you start a seed video, you can essentially say how much of your revenue you're going to share with the other musicians that you pick, you know, that get picked for your whatever, for your yep. song. And uh, there's revenue sharing. So to submit a video costs a little bit of money, not much, not very much at all. And when you use them, costs a little bit. So, um, you know, we're talking, I, I can't remember what it is, microsense or sense or whatever it is, but it's not a whole lot. But the idea is that, you know, you can actually make a little bit of money and have some fun. But more importantly, it's this world community of musicians that are sort of jamming together in this virtual world. Really interesting. Isn't gotta, that cool? Got to listen to some of the pieces and see what you get. Yeah. So uh, if you, yeah, it's an iPad app, right? But there are some videos. There's a, this video up there that you can check out. So mm -hmm. if you download the app, there's three demo songs in it. One of them is this Ron Wood song. And the mix that comes up includes my trumpet player, Doug Wolverton, on trumpet. And you can actually go and find my acoustic guitar track in there and add it to if you want. Nice. Yeah, it's so much fun. It's cool. And uh, we're going to be adding some more tracks here at Pwop Studios. I bet you are, yeah. Yeah, fun. So if you're into it, go to wholeworldband.com. Check it out. Nice. There you go. Who's talking to us, Richard? Hey, I grabbed a comment off of show 115, and that is the one we did in the Philly Code Camp with Atley Hunter, where we're talking about monetizing mobile apps. Yep. And this comment, it was a couple of months ago from uh, Rajiv Nair, who said, three things I learned from the ever energetic Atley Hunter. <laughs> Number one, keep it simple and get it out under the marketplace. Should not spend more than a couple of days developing your first version of the app. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That, that uh, you know, minimal viable product, MVP, is such a good concept mm. just to get it out there. And it's certainly Atley shown that getting apps out there and seeing how people react to them is the most important thing. Yep. Number two, in-app purchases. People hate trials, especially time-limited trials. Give them the option of purchasing extras. I'm seeing more and more apps giving the option that you can pay 99 cents to get rid of ads. So full capability app with ads and the option you don't like ads, pay here and it'll go away forever. And number three, volume. Mm. Lots and lots of apps. Unless you plan on getting a hit like Logo Quiz or Angry Birds, and who can really plan you can't for really that? Plan that, yeah. I, I, uh, if I could plan for that, that'd be all I would do. But I'd do lots of them. So yeah, it doesn't always work that way. You got to get out there and get it done. But uh, Rajiv, a good recap of what Atlee was talking about, and I think important stuff. So thank you so much for your comment. A tablet show mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a tablet show mug, just write a comment on the website at thetabletshow.com or on any of our mobile apps. We've got them for Windows Phone 7 and 8, Windows 8, iOS, and Android. And those apps were built by Diatom Enterprises. Who'd love to build you an app? Just go to diatomenterprises.com. And that brings us to our guest. Justin Escar is somewhat of a serial entrepreneur, balancing his time between his computer consulting firm, software development, and coming up with the 
next big idea. His premier app, Sign My Pad, has sold over 250,000 copies worldwide and has been featured in Apple's list of top business apps. He launched NYC Truck Food in 2011, which tracks food trucks in New York City, and his last endeavor is Email Phoenix, a cloud-based backup service for Cario mail users. At the end of 2013, Justin released his first book, Appitalize on Your Idea, available at Amazon. Justin focuses on projects that combine his passion for technology and his commitment to going green. Welcome, Justin. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. You're a busy guy. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I am. And not just an idea man, but uh, an implementation guy as well. We were talking just before we started recording about... Uh, you know, being the smartest guy in the room, having to to fix people's computers and uh, all of that. Yeah, uh, it's 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 a lot to take in, you know. But it it was really nice that uh, like one thing segued into the other, into the other for all the stuff that I'm doing. So tell us about uh, your smash hit, Sign My Pad. What was that all about? Sure. So uh, Sign My Pad is our first app. Um, I came up with it in 2010. Uh, my day job at the time is I'm an Apple consultant in Manhattan. So I go around Manhattan and I fix people's computers. And I had these paperwork tickets, one that I would keep and one that my client would sign. Mm-hmm. Um, or they, sorry, they, one that they would keep and one that my, that my client would sign and I would take home. And I lived in a studio apartment in Manhattan and, you know, they're tiny. And I had all this paper piling up. So I wanted to come up with a better way of dealing with this because I was wasting a lot of money with paper. And, you know, it was taking, it was like clouding my apartment. Yeah. So I was using my iPad in the bathroom because that's the best place to use it. <laughs> and I realized that like I can I can draw on this device, this awesome I mean this is 2010, it's still the first iPad. And I realized that like I can draw on this device. There's no reason why I can't use my finger to draw a signature. So I realized that like there's gotta be a way I can take these PDFs from my database, bring them into the iPad, and have my clients sign with their finger. And that was what started the idea for sign my pad hmm. so i drew some crude drawings on a piece of paper and my wife who was my girlfriend at the time is a graphic designer and she was able to take my crude drawings and make like this really nice looking flow chart um in adobe illustrator which really exemplified like what i wanted to do i then went to guru.com and i found some programmers in india and they were able to make it a reality Wow. And that's what started SimiPad, and since then it's kind of just taken on its own little world. Uh, we're in our fifth revision. We have multiple versions. We're out for uh, iPad, iPhone, Android, Windows. Now, is this a programming tool that somebody can just pop into their own app and use it for that kind of thing, or is it an app in and of itself? It's an app in and of itself. Um, right now, people that want to plug it into their system, we have done that in the past. Okay. So, like, someone will contact us and we'll, we'll help integrate it into their system. Because I had seen a couple of years ago at a coffee shop here, and I talked about it, I think, on the tablet show, um, a point-of-sale app on the iPad where they just hand you the iPad and you, you sign, you pick a, a, num- a tip amount that you want and you sign with your finger. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, the Square tool, like the Square credit card thing, right. that does it also. Yeah. Um, but, again, you know, I was first or second to market with this PDF signature concept. Again, okay. this is 2010, right? Right. This is before Square, before POS, before 
um, people realized like what was going on very early in the app store world. Mm. So it was, it was very different then. Now there's, a, the, I have a lot of competition, mm. you know, um, and it's tough to differentiate what makes one good and, and what doesn't. Sure. And it's really a, a feature set. And that's, you know, where we are now in our fifth revision. We're like trying to come up with like, what's the next feature that we can add to it? Stuff like that. Right. To differentiate it. Yeah. Right. So then we just came up with our last version we released with SoundMyPad Cloud, which is what we call active document management. Uh, someone from a web interface can push documents or PDFs directly into copies of SoundMyPad Pro on their employees' devices. So it's really good if you have like a delivery company or if you're in real estate, you can push the document directly to the person's device. They can get it signed by their client and it comes right back to you in the cloud via the website. You went to guru.com and found some found a team in India was your experience as a developer crucial to that? Or do you think somebody who didn't have development experience could have done the same thing? Well, actually, I have no development experience. Uh, the maximum I've ever done in developing is AppleScript. And that's not really, if I talk to any programmer, they're like, <laughs> that's not programming. Oh. Um, so yeah, I actually have no, d- despite my parents' plea, I have no experience coding whatsoever. I had a really good idea of what I wanted to see in the end. And I didn't really care how we got there. Mm. So when I went to guru.com, my original posting was something like, I need someone who knows iOS programming and PDF ma- manipulation. And like, mm. that was it. Mm. And then I was able to, you know, vet these companies and parse through whoever I didn't want um, based on how they reacted with me, how they answered certain questions. Right. And then what their, you know, fee was. And I've, I have a, a rule, always get at least three bids and always go with the middle guy. Yeah. Um, so, and I did that and I lucked out. I use actually the same team in India now for my programming that I did back when we started. Wow. And how often were you interacting with the team in India? How do you keep those guys on track and make sure they're actually building the thing you want? Sure. So, uh, the company that I use, uh, will email me every day. Hi, I'm, I'm online for the day and hi, I'm leaving for the day. Here's what I did. Um, and I use Skype in the morning. So I'm in, I'm in New York, well, technically New Jersey and they're in India. So there's a very large time difference. After doing enough work with them, I was able to ask the project manager if the programmer I had can shift his hours like by two or three hours. So he works later in his day, but starts later. So that way he'd be on my schedule a little bit more. So I can wake up at like seven 30, jump on Skype and I can talk to them until about 11 AM my time just to get through any sort of issues. Four hours is more than enough to really communicate, hey, where are we? Here's what I tested with. And, you know, between that and email, that covers all the bases. Hmm. Well, and, and so very much that agile style of having just working with them steadily till they get into a flow and then they're off for the rest of the day. Right, which kind of works out because what happens is like they'll leave and they'll be like, here's the latest beta. And it gives me the rest of my day to test it out. Right. And then I can email them. And then even though I'm sleeping, they're starting with the things that I wanted to be fixed. And then we can communicate on what the next step is afterwards. Nice. So yeah, you get, you get, you start to take advantage of the time zone difference so that there's work going on all the time. Exactly. You can, you could potentially have a 24 hour work step by using a time zone outsource company. If you did it right, for sure. But it always, I appreciate that it does take, you, you don't just write a document, throw it over a wall, and an app comes out three months later. Oh, absolutely not. I mean, um, I've done presentations on this, and I talk about this. Uh, I just wrote a book called Apple is on Your Idea, so I talk about it in there. Right. When, you're, when you're outsourcing, you have to know 
you have to be smart enough to realize who you're talking to. Right. So I have programmers in California. I, program, I had a programmer in North Carolina. I have one in Virginia. I have a bunch in India um, and one in China for different projects. You have to know who you're talking to to figure out exactly how you need to speak. Much like you don't speak to your friends the same way you speak to your colleagues or the way you speak to your parents, it's the same thing. My team in California, if I say, hey, I want to do something like this, and I give him a really abstract idea, he can kind of buckle down and figure out what I'm trying to say. But my team in India, if I say, hey, I'm thinking about doing this, they're not going to get it. So you have to give them very explicit directions. If you hand them something, if you hand them a document and it has typos in it, you're getting it back with typos. But if you give it to the guy in California with typos in it, you're paying him a lot more, a lot more money, but you're getting it back corrected. Right, right, sure. And, and, and that's, not, that's not a knowledge thing. That's just a work ethic thing. They're getting paid in India, you know, 10 to $15 an hour. My programmer in California charges like upwards of 200 Right. Uh, you know, you get what you pay for. All right. I'm really curious about New York City food, uh, truck food. Okay. Um, tracking food trucks. And uh, I'm wondering if this is just simply uh, a social app, you know, where I saw this food truck here. Uh, you know, you're relying on eyewitnesses, or do you actually have devices in the food trucks and that you're actually tracking them around? Okay. So this is, you're going to laugh when I tell you this. The, the way we track the trucks is I taught my mom how to use Twitter (laughs) (laughs) and she uses the NYC food truck. We follow all the trucks in Manhattan or at least most of them. And they, you and your mom. Well, yeah, my mom, well, she, I taught her how to do it. (laughs) So, so she watches on Twitter. I set up tweet deck on her computer. Okay. Being the Apple consultant that I am, I remoted into her computer. I set up TweetDeck with our NYC truck food where we follow most of the trucks. Oh, okay. When you say follow, I you I mean, you follow them on Twitter. On I Twitter, was thinking yeah. oh, you're getting no, in no, the no, car no, 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 and no. following them around. No, no, no. Oh, no, man. No. That wouldn't be weird. No. What would be weird about that? <laughs> you say we follow them. I'm like, what? <laughs> no, we follow them on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, and they usually announce where they are. So um, okay. I gave my mom access to the back end of our website, and she literally types in their address every day. Nice. Wow. We tried to track it. We, we liter- so uh, my partner for that is a friend of mine. He lives in Virginia. Um, and and uh, he's been my friend since, like, I don't know, like second grade or something like that. And we originally, like, I was like, hey, we should script this. And he goes, okay, fine. So we, he wrote, he's a brilliant programmer. He wrote this script to track two or three of the trucks just to, to, we were testing it. And what happened was one of the trucks wrote, Hey, I'm parked on like 28th and fifth. And then like later in the day, they were like, I was taking a walk and I saw a giant rat on 14th and seventh. And what happened was the truck in our listing moved to 14th and seventh because there's no way it can differentiate when the guy's talking about a rat versus where where the truck was. So we still haven't really figured out what we want to do. We were thinking about doing it with Foursquare, but like, it's NYC truck food is a pet project. Everybody that I talk to, I tell that to, um, cause you know, we're, if I have to hire my mom to do the work manually, you know, obviously <laughs> that's really making funny. billions of dollars on that one. Uh, <laughs> so how many trucks do you follow in New York city? Like 110. Wow. We tried to launch Philly truck food. We actually have the site up and running and we have this great program where like anytime we want to launch a new city, we hit like two buttons and it's done. It's just that we need the people 
we need people to like want to help. And we're trying to figure out what the right methodology is for that. Yeah. Uh, we had an app in the app store. We wanted to submit an app to the, to the Apple because we have a, you can get the NYC truck food app on your phone. Mm. We wanted to submit another app for the food trucks that they pressed the button and it would check them in. But Apple denied it because it didn't use enough technology for it to warrant being an app. And we just never followed up with that. I've had enough fights with Apple um, with all of our other, other apps to like not even pursue that one. Once they say no, forget it. No, that's not necessarily true. Um, so our latest incident with Apple, which became kind of like big tech news when it happened, was we released a version of SimiPad. Our iPad version is different than our iPhone version. We don't make one that works on both. We make two separate versions, specifically because of screen size. We added a new feature where we were using a user's iCloud account to sync data between the two devices. And Apple said, we're not allowing this because you're not using iCloud correctly. And I had numerous conversations with them. They actually called me and told me, like, you can't do this. And I was like, but your apps do it. Like the Keynote app does it. <laughs> and the woman on the phone was like, no, you, you're not allowed to do this. So I took to writing a blog post on, my, on our website. And it got picked up by a couple of other like Mac-related uh, blogs. And then it got picked up by even more people. Like it went from, from my blog to the unofficial Apple weblog to Lifehacker. And at that point, like Lifehacker gets what, like a million hits a day? Yeah. At that point, Apple was like, uh oh, we need to do something about this. And they, and I got a phone call actually from someone who works at Apple who was unrelated to this. He works as a coder in one of the other departments. He wanted to help me. He was like, let me help you and help your code. I was like, that's great to help me, but like you can't fix this problem. One of the people at the app submission team called me and I spoke to him and I was like, this is exactly what we want to do. And he's like, okay, if you do it this way, it'll go through. And they, and that helped. So just because Apple says no, doesn't necessarily mean that that's the final answer. It really depends. It's a case by case thing. They have very specific rules. Like you can't submit new apps that already have too many out there. So that's why you don't see any new like fart apps coming up. Right. But on something like this, we're using their technology and we're using it in a very specific way. We might have had to tweak it to make it work for what they wanted. And like the technical parts really don't matter. But once we did that, they were like, okay, fine. Now you can use it the way you want to use it. Mm. The question is, how much did the Twitter storm, the, the, the blogosphere storm affect their behavior? Probably a lot because it's not like I it's not like I kept emailing them. Like I had given up on them and I posted this on my website. Right. Because they were just saying you can't do it this way, you have to do it that way. There wasn't the little secret way that you had to make the change that would have made them happy. They never told me until I talked to them on the phone. I, until there was this storm. Right. And even which is funny, thank you for this guy who who contacted me, not the other programmer, the one who called me from the app submission. I actually don't have his phone number. I can only email him and he will call me back. He will never email me back because it can't be in writing. Like, at least that's my theory. That's my theory. That's my theory. So if he listens, that's just my theory. He can call me and tell me that I'm wrong. But like, he's never emailed me back. He, if I email him, he calls me. That's really interesting. This episode of The Tablet Show is brought to you by Telerik Icinium, which enables you to develop, test, and publish iOS and Android apps from a single code base using only HTML5 and JavaScript. 
And the best part is Icenium lets you do all of this from within Visual Studio, including comprehensive backend as a service in the cloud, integrated support for Kendo UI as well as jQuery mobile, and integrated testing and deployment capabilities. That makes Icenium a robust end-to-end mobile app development platform for .NET developers. Telerik Icenium with its Visual Studio extension is available on a subscription basis and part of the Telerik DevCraft Ultimate Collection. Start a free 30-day trial of Icenium with support at icenium.com slash DNR. That's I-C-E-N-I-U-M dot com slash DNR. And don't forget to thank Telerik for supporting .NET Rocks and the Tablet Show. We hear these stories about uh, these app store challenges, and and it's not just Apple too. I mean, I think about Carla's store we had at the beginning of the Windows Eight store. All oh, right, where I mean, guys just could not. They were getting blocked, told no, and just no coherent reason why. Right, and, and you know, and there was and there was just no recourse. They were a little overwhelmed. We did sign my pad for Windows. Actually, Microsoft came to us and was like, we want you to build sign my pad for Windows. Right. And the guys who came to me, I was like, okay, fine. So we started to build it and they helped me along the way. And I think we had a problem submitting originally and they were able to fix it for us. But ever since then, I've never heard from them again. Like I've emailed them and they've kind of just like disappeared off the face of the earth. Interesting. Um, I think they were just like, they were the... Not necessarily salespeople, but they were trying to sell their app store on developers because they want to populate the store. And um, anyone who's listening, yes, we have some iPad for Windows 8. And then when they released Windows 8.1, it messed up like a whole bunch of stuff. So yes, we are working on a fix for 8.1. It's just not out yet. And it's not Sign My Pad Pro. That's somebody else? No, Sign My Pad Pro is us. We have, technically speaking, two versions for every platform, even though okay. we have three for for iPad. We have SignMyPad Lite, which we're not updating anymore. That was an experiment, and that really works for anyone who has iOS 6 on the iPad or lower. But we have SignMyPad and SignMyPad Pro. SignMyPad is our regular PDF application. SignMyPad Pro is everything that has that's in SignMyPad, but also has the ability to geotag your PDFs. So when you save a PDF, the date location, the date, time, and the location that's taken by your tablet gets saved to the metadata of the PDF. Nice. Huh. Um, and SignMyPad Pro also works with our SignMyPad Cloud. Very cool. Yeah, it's a, it's a really, you know, talk about a modern app. It's just such a changing real workflow here. I, I love that. Yeah. Actually, I, I, it's really funny. So obviously, we have a lot of real estate people who, who like our app. Um, we have a lot of lawyers who really like the SignMyPad um, family also. Uh, an ex-girlfriend of mine who's now a, a, a lawyer in Florida she told me the story that like her opposing counsel was like, I got this iPad app. You totally got to check it out. It makes your life so much easier. And he showed her sign my pad. And she's like, that's my ex-boyfriend's app. Like <laughs> she's like, I know all about this. It's like all over his Facebook feed and stuff like that. So, you know, it gets out there, which is kind of cool. And we've been accepted by um, lawyer technology blogs. Even Apple wrote about us like in my bio on the, there was a thing that they had like top 10 business apps or something like that. And sign my pad made the list, which was really cool. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, it's neat. So are all of these things that you're talking about in your book, is there any other nuggets of wisdom? I mean, is your book really sort of the story of how you did your thing or um, things that you've learned along the way? Yeah, for the most part, it's my story, but it's flipped into how you can do it. So, right. so what Appitalize, the whole concept of Appitalize, which is really what I'm pushing now, is that anybody can do what I did. I have a day job, and I use SignMyPad as passive income, 
which is like a very big thing. I, I diversified not having to worry about if I lose a client in my day job, I still have a, the ability to make money on these other projects, mm. sign my pad, NYC truck food, email Phoenix or whatever. Right. And the fact is, is anybody can come up with this idea. It's just that you need to look for it. So my book's really short. I call it a very long pamphlet because it's only 64 pages. It's also only five bucks. So, you know, yeah. I've already bought it and read it. Like, it's all very fair. Oh, well, that's awesome. Yeah. I'll have to remember that you bought it. Um, <laughs> the, so, but if you, if you remember, the first, like, the first chapter where I talk about the idea is like the longest chapter. Yep. And it's all about here's how you can find an idea in your life where to look, what to do. And I tell people all the time, like I have a, this woman who comes and walks my dog and I'm like, do you like walking dogs? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, do you make enough money walking dogs? And she's like, not really. And I was like, you need to come up with like a new dog thing. Like this is your, this is your job. Look around for what, what's missing in your, in your day. And the fact of the matter is if anybody took their job and I say this over all the time, take a notebook with you. And record everything that you've done in a day mm. and everything that you wish you had, whether it's on your commute, at work, at home, whatever it is. Somewhere in that list is an idea. And it's going to be an idea that other people probably also have the same issue with. So, like, I gave this one out for free on my blog. I take the New Jersey Transit into the city. And on the double-decker New Jersey Transit, there's a coat hook on the back of every chair. But I watch TV on my iPhone I really want someone to come up with a coat hook enabled case holder for my iPhone so I don't have to hold it and like <laughs> bend my neck down. Like that's that's such a petty thing to think about, but like the fact is is I can't be the only person who needs this because if you look around everybody's got their head down in their phone and it's not good for your neck. So there's no reason why someone can't get a 3D printer from MakerBot for 1500 bucks, make a prototype, put it up on Etsy or something like that. So that's where I talk the most about is about finding that idea. The rest of it of the book is like, okay, now that you have your idea, here are the steps it takes to make it come alive. Get a lawyer, get it made, get it sold. And like I give tips and tricks along the way with all that. That's very cool. And you know, what I like about this is that you're not necessarily um, hitting all the technical things. I mean, it's all the other stuff, you know, our audience is technical, but it's all the other stuff that, that we struggle with, you know, getting an app out there, getting noticed in the app store. Absolutely. And my book, while yes, it's a little app heavy, because I talk about, I use apps as the platform because that's where my world is. The fact is you really can't apply it to anything. Like here's a great example. For Sign My Pad, uh, I got a couple of emails that some of the older real estate brokers didn't, were not feeling comfortable using their finger to sign on their iPads. So I had an intern at the time. We figured out that we wanted to make a stylus, but we needed to make a stylus that was different than everybody else's. The iPad 2 had just come out and it came with those, you get those smart covers with the magnet in it. I was like, we should do a magnetic stylus. None, there was no magnetic stylus in the United States at the time. My intern, brilliant kid, uh, found a website that actually took x-rays of the smart case. We figured out where the magnets were. We printed it in like full size measured out where the magnets were, went to a website called Alibaba.com, A-L-I-B-A-B-A.com. Oh, yeah, that's a standard Chinese uh, hardware kind of place. So it's Well, it's not only Chinese, but it, there's a lot of Chinese manufacturers on there. So we went there. We started buying some prototype 
um, Silas's to see what they were. And I emailed all of them. I said, can you put magnets in? They said, sure, where do you want it? And we gave them the exact dimensions from this printout that we had. And I got a magnetic stylus. And we printed our logo on it. And we got a bunch of them. And we sell them on our website, which is great because it's a great companion product to our app. You don't necessarily need our app for the magnetic stylus to work because it's a stylus. It works with whatever app you have. But it's just another avenue to go. That's Obviously, it's a physical product, but the steps are still the same. Come up with the idea, outsource to get it made, sell it. It's the same thing, whether it's an app or a doodad or a zipza or whatever it is. The steps are the same, even though the book really talks more about apps. Wait, I love this. It's just the whole other way, you know, that the idea is important and making the right products important and getting the message out. You know, what has been your most compelling marketing strategy? Like, how do you get this app in front of people, especially in an app store with what a million apps now? Um, yeah, it's really easy to get lost in the brush when you have that much out there. To be honest, my personal belief with apps and this is apps alone, not other products, apps alone, it's very organic. It's very organic. You can push and push and push all you want. Right. But really, it's it's very much word of mouth. Some of our best days came from people giving like crappy reviews on their website. Um, I'll tell you a little quick story. 2011, I remember that August 4th, 2011. I remember this day because it it nearly knocked me on my feet. I woke up. I went to my computer and looked at my regular daily website sites that I look at every day. And one of them happened to Wired Gadget Lab. And on there was an article about SimiPad Pro. And I was like, oh my God, we made Wired. This is awesome. Until you read the article. Now, SimiPad Pro, when we first released it, was $99. Because a company that had asked for these features didn't want to buy a mobile device manager. And at the time, was really it was just much. there was no VVP program. It was a lot easier for us to just throw the app on the App Store. They said, we'll buy five copies. I said, okay, fine. They bought the five copies. And then we just left it there. Right. And $99 for an app in 2011 was like, oh my God, I can't believe that's happening. So this review on Wired.com pretty much ripped us about the price being too high. And the guy who wrote the article didn't even try the app. He actually just took a snippet of somebody else's iTunes review, which was like a three-star review. Where it was like, I like the app but blah, 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 blah. But it is really, really good. Took that middle part and wrote his entire article about the about the app. The criticisms. The criticism. Wow. I'm, flo- <laughs> I'm floored. Yeah. Because I have to go to work now, and I had to go to Brooklyn, which if anyone who lives in Manhattan knows, if you go from the Upper East Side to Brooklyn, that's an hour train ride to work for like five hours, and then an hour train ride back. And I couldn't do anything. I was so, like, I was stunned. I was, I was... I was a mix of so many emotions. I was livid and confused. And like, so I reached out to my Facebook uh, friends and I was like, what do you guys think I should do? And everyone's like, sue him, sue him for everything he's got. I was like, I "I don't really think that's the right way to go. Um, And then my wife in her genius, she uh, can't tell you how much I love my wife for being as smart as she is, goes, what if we, retaliated in a different way and what we did was i posted a video on our website it's gone now obviously and we commented on the article and we said you know what thanks for writing about this but we want to be fair to everybody so we dropped the 99 dollars down to 10 dollars, and we said everyone who leaves a positive review about our app not on the app store but on this guy's article 
We'll keep the app at $10 for another 24 hours. Awesome. Wow. What a brilliant idea. I like your wife too. She's brilliant. I love it. That is brilliant. (laughs) So we kept it at $10 for eight days. um, And then we raised it to what is now its normal price, which is $19.99. A couple people commented on the guy's article saying like, oh, you're one to talk because at the time the Wired app was garbage and whatever it is. This thing got picked up by, again, the unofficial Apple web blog and then like three other websites. That one day made us more money than we had the entire month before. Nice. And got that conversation going, just people talking about the app. And that's where it comes back to originally, which was what I was saying. Well, yes, we emailed this guy originally to say, hey, can you do a review? The fact is, is it's really the word of mouth that got all those sales. It really is that organic growth. Right. Some, some of our best days are when someone goes to a conference and talks about our app in front of a group of people that we didn't even know the conference was happening. Four right. or five months ago, there was a lawyer conference. I didn't know what was going on, but I saw a spike in sales. I had to go like research what conferences were happening to find out that someone had mentioned my app because it wasn't even on Twitter for whatever reason. Wow. Huh. So like, it, that's what I'm saying. It's really organic. You can push and push and push, but the fact of the matter is like traditional advertising is gone by the wayside yeah you're not going to buy an app that no app will actually come out and then automatically have a television commercial um unless you're angry birds and you're backing um <laughs> yep but like you know social media and just getting people to talk about it is the really and i talk about this also in the book is really the only way to get an app out there in the way that it should be that's all yeah and it helps that the software is actually good that when people use it they do like it you know what? That's even it's, it's a funny thing, and not that I don't think SignMyPad is good. So that's like a that that's a that's not necessarily true because SignMyPad, in my opinion, is great. But like with the people who have downloaded it, you know, if you looked at the if you go to iTunes and you look up SignMyPad, it's got like two and a half stars. Because my theory on this is that people who like it just keep using it, and people who hate it need to be an internet troll and tell people that the, that the program sucks. Right. Right. Um, but the fact of the matter is. If you hate it so much, the fact is it's still selling relatively well. And we're in our fourth year, you know, and we're on our fifth version. And the fact is, it is like we do no advertising. So even if the app isn't necessarily good, it that's it's not that. It's all about per- perception. It's that perception filter that Apple loves to have all the time. Right. It's that. If people talk about it, whether it's good or bad, it'll sell. Great example is, I don't know if you guys remember back, way back when the Apple store just opened up, there was a kid who made an app called I Am Rich. Oh, yeah. I heard about this. The app sold for $1,000. And all it did was it showed a picture of a gem and it said, I am rich. Yep. Eight people bought that app. Eight. (laughs) Yep. Oh, my God. Uh, Whatever happened to the, did they... Pull it down eventually. And they, they pulled it. Yeah, did they, they make the guy give his money, give the money back? Some or? of it. Some yeah. of it. Um, but the point is, is that that app was obvious garbage, but people talked about it and then people bought it. Mm, right. So I'm not telling people go out there and put out garbage, obviously. What I'm saying is there's a level to where the, if the app has to be good for it to be spoken about. That's what I'm talking about. Right. I tell people to stop making apps. I think people need to stop making apps. I have a theory that in like the next three to five years, doctors will see more broken index fingers from people like smashing it on their phones <laughs> than ever before. 
Um, but I think apps is a great garden to play in. But the fact is, is we need to we need to bring back innovation. The iPhone was a great innovation. It's eight years old, right? Two thousand right. seven years old. Everyone now competes to be the better smartphone. Stop being the better smartphone. Be the best smartphone, or be the new kind of phone, or be something else. Bring back that innovation. So I tell people like, oh, I'm thinking about building this app, and I'm like, how many copies? You know, how many other versions of this app exist already? Right, when we did sure. iPad, we were the first or second. Someone comes to me and you know, goes, I want to make a PDF signature application. I'm like, there's 12 people out there you're competing with. You're going to enter the yeah. market. Go innovate. Bring on something new. Bring in, come up with a new big thing. There's nothing stopping somebody in a garage from doing that. Right. I'm always more disturbed when someone says, I want to do a signature app. And it's like, well, who are your competitors? And they don't know. Oh, that's even worse. If you're not doing your due diligence, you... Go back to the drawing board. Yeah, actually taking the time to figure out what's a- out there and get to know the marketplace that exists. Yeah. Right? And then, you know, I think, and that research really sets you up for seeing, do you have an innovation? Is there something there? That's where the creative yeah. side of app development comes in. And I, I always go back to the Dick Van Dyke show, which, you know, if you think about, you're going to sit down and write a sitcom. Carl Reiner said, well, what do we know? Right, let's write what we know. What are we? We're writers. Let's write about writers writing a sitcom. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and they they basically just the ultimate creative idea that allowed them to capitalize on the stuff that they knew. What I'm saying is sometimes the app is so obvious, it's sitting, staring you right in the face, and you don't realize it. And that's exactly what happened with some of my pad. When, like I said, you know, when I realized that you can draw on it. I mean, I come up with new app ideas every day. And the first thing I do is I go to the app store and I see if something like this exists. And then I just let it be because most of the time it does. And with a million apps out there, you're guaranteed to come up with something that someone else has already come up with. And that's good. That means at least you're thinking. The fact is now change that a hair or two and come up with something else. Yeah, I think understanding the marketplace really helps you see where the niches are. What are the holes? Right. What could you fill? Right, and that's knowing your own marketplace, yeah. Maybe your marketplace isn't the marketplace you think it is. You know, maybe it's not the app-buying, quote-unquote, marketplace, the hip, whatever. Maybe there's a market that doesn't quite exist yet, you know, that that you have to discover. Or maybe there's a market that doesn't, uh, you know, is just coming online. Do you know what I'm saying? So, a lot of times people look at what's currently selling and think, oh, how do we do something slightly different and then they come up with a slightly different alteration of something that's already out there. But to really think differently, you have to anticipate uh, a market. And that's what, I, that's what I'm talking about, about that innovation thing. Like coming up with, taking what's out there and going, I'm going to slightly modify that. That's not innovation. Innovation is saying, we're going to take this idea that's out there. We're going to throw this out the window and we're going to create something brand new from the ground up. Right. And it's amazing that people don't realize how much innovation really is in this world and how far we've come because everything that you touch and use and look at in your daily life was somebody's innovative idea. The light bulb, the light bulb, which is something we take so for granted. Thomas Edison came up with this idea like the top of his head. Well, I mean, we can compete about who really came up with it, but (laughs) that's for another show. But like essentially came up with it out of the top of his head. This is what I'm talking about where it comes to innovation. I'm, I'm, sitting in a, I'm sitting in a conference room and I'm looking around. And I see on the wall 
a recessed outlet, uh, what they call a clock outlet. And it's for mounted televisions because that way you have the plug. It goes in the wall as opposed to bulking out. Even something like that, which sells for a buck fifty at Home Depot, somebody had to innovate that brilliance. Yeah. There's nothing. And, and you know what it was? It was probably, I don't know, but it was probably a guy who was putting, plugging stuff in going, you know, I want this to go further in. How do I make this happen? And then figured it out. There's nothing stopping someone who has any job. This is like what I said to my dog walker. Look around and see what you need. What will what at your job or in your life will make your life or work easier for you? Whatever hole that you're filling, someone else has to probably has that same problem. There's your innovative idea. If you say we're just going to make a cup holder that also holds tissues, like there's a thousand things that are. I happen to be looking at a cup and a box of tissues, but. Um, I'm sure there's a thousand things out there. And then you're going to go, well, we have a cup holder that does tissues and it also has handy wipes. You're not, that's not innovation. Right. And, and I think we're lacking. We need to bring that back. Were you listening to the intro where I talked about whole world band? What did you think of that idea? Uh, yeah, I was, I was listening to it somewhat. I, I'll admit I wasn't really completely there, but I think that's a great idea. I think um, being able to like layer yourself on top to create something new, that's, it's really yeah. smart. I mean, and, and that idea is so fundamental to so many things and can be applied to so many things in so many markets, not just music, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah of that, course. That collaboration thing. Yeah. Yeah, software as a service, collaboration, that's where we're headed technology-wise. I usually, I tell people all the time, if you want, if you need help thinking technology, like what's coming, voice activation, home automation, touch, that's where we're headed. Um, think about those things if you want to do something technical. If you want to do something non-technical, look around and, and see what holes you can fill. Mm. That's good stuff, Justin. So, what's next for you? What's on your uh, What's on your agenda in your inbox? Um, yeah, I'm really good at keeping my inbox clean. Um, <laughs> right now, uh, we I'm doing a lot of stuff with the book um, and my own personal blog, www.justinescar.com. Uh, we're doing a podcast now where I'm bringing on people who have either capitalize on their idea i brought on some programmers i brought on people who talk about social media marketing i brought on i even just brought on a psychiatrist this past week's episode it's up on itunes a psychiatrist to help talk about fear wow. help getting over that fear of of doing something on your own um it's really powerful stuff his big thing and i love this about it was that he said know your value um and to realize that if you fail at an idea it doesn't mean you're a failure as a person mm. And it just, oh man, it was so, it was such a good, such a great interview. That's great. So I'm doing a lot of that. Um, doing a new Twitter Q&A every Tuesday or hopefully every Tuesday. So you can jump on that if you want to hit me up on Twitter. Um, and then the next thing after that, who knows? Um, really trying to, I really just want the book to get out there. And I want people to realize that that what I write about in the book is, is it's not, I'm not writing it because I'm trying to shove it down people's throats or that I want people to know more about me. I can, I can, I could care less if people knew who I was. I, what I care about is the people that are using the concepts in the book to bring about that the next level of technology or the next, how the lifestyle is going to be over the next mm. five, 10 years. I mean, if we're moving in the direction of that movie, her with the, with the, that video game that interacts with you, by the way, great, great movie if you haven't seen it. Hmm. Um, 
you know, if that's the way it is, that's the way it is. But I, someone has to make it. Someone has to go and do it. And there's nothing stopping anyone who's listening from doing it. Awesome. Justin, thank you so much for spending this time with us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And we'll see you next time on The Tablet Show. Tablet Show.